0: to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12. We're going to be starting the gospel of Mark today, and I, I have always genuinely liked doing a proper introduction to a, to a book of the Bible. Instead of just diving into verse 1, I, I want to look a little bit uh, uh, into the, to the background, into the context, kind of set the stage for us. So the reason we're going to be in the book of Acts is because a lot of what we know about uh, Mark or John Mark, as his name was, uh, we can see in the book of Acts. In fact, we have a lot of information about him, more so really than, than some of the others that, that we read about in the Bible. So this is really interesting stuff. It's going to encourage us this morning, I believe. I know it encouraged me. So let's, uh, let's dive into it together. But to start, I want to ask you a question. Who knows what it means to persevere? What does it mean to persevere? To keep going, continue on. In in the face of what? Adversity or difficulty or trial, tribulation. See, adversity is something that comes against you, and perseverance really is 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 going on in spite of that. And that's something that we really need to to think about and process because you know what I see a lot of times these in these days is is uh, it has been before that we want things super quick and super easy and there aren't many people who are willing to persevere towards something that that they really want but they're not really willing to put something more into it. Perseverance. This is what I see as part of the character of Mark. This guy went through a lot that we can see in Scripture, and I think one of the things that we can take away and that we're going to meditate on this morning is his willingness to persevere through difficulty. And we've we got to talk about that, Huh? Are you persevering through anything right now? Are you challenged in a, in a place in your life where you have the opportunity, the option to either give up or keep going? I was just talking to a dear brother last week and we were talking about success and how some people are willing to do anything for success and others are willing to just continue to give up over and over and they never attain, they never achieve their goal, what they want. Now, for us as Christians, the ultimate goal is to have that that sweet fellowship and and receive the promises of God, of, of knowing Him and growing in our knowledge of Him, which is the best. There's nothing better than that. Along with that comes everything else that we need in life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Everything that you want, everything that your heart desires, whatever place that you're in, As you seek God and persevere persevere through the difficulty, God meets you, teaches you, and helps you. You know, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, it says, Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap if you do not lose heart. Is there anybody this morning that is willing to lose heart, to give up? Don't do it. Keep going, keep pushing, keep seeking the Lord. This is the example that we see with Mark and and, and a couple other things that we're going to look at this morning to encourage us in not only our walk with the Lord at this season in our lives, but also through the difficulty that's facing us right now. So what do we know about Mark? Well, like I mentioned a, a couple minutes ago, there's a lot that we can see in the Bible about who Mark was. First of all, Mark uh, is thought to probably have been the 12-year-old that ran away naked when Jesus was caught in the Garden of Gethsemane right after the Last Supper. That's interesting, huh? Some people believe it. Some people don't. You know, whatever the case may be, it would put him around that age range. He was he was wanting to be near Jesus and the disciples, but he was at an age where he wasn't he wasn't able to be a disciple of Jesus like the others in that he could just leave home and go follow Jesus. What would you do if 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 your twelve year old told you that they wanted to leave home and go follow Jesus? You grab him by the ear and shake him a little bit. The shaking's for effect. You ain't going nowhere. (laughs) But there's other things that indicate in Scripture that that even the family themselves didn't really know who Jesus was till a certain point. In fact, keep, keep your finger in Acts chapter 12 and flip over to Mark chapter 14, which we will get there eventually. Mark chapter 14 verse 12 says, Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? Now, Jesus and his disciples, they knew people in Jerusalem. But for some reason, his disciples asked him, Hey, where do you want to have the Passover? Because they didn't have anywhere to have it. And, you know, I see a picture of God's grace in this because Jesus didn't say, oh, oh, go call, you know, Bartholomew, go call Jedediah, go call, you know, go see if their place is available so that we can go and have supper with them or they can host us because we know them. Isn't that what we typically tend to do? We typically tend to rack our brains, what are the resources that I have? What are the resources that my friends have that know that I'm the Messiah, that have already accepted me, that we can ask if we can use their place to partake of the Passover? Right? Isn't that what we do? We don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't like to meet new people. Well, I do. Sometimes. When I'm in the mood. (laughs) We, we like what's what's set, what's, what's expected. But look at what Jesus says. He says, where are we going to have the Passover? Then verse 13, and he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a picture of water. Not a picture of water, a pitcher of water. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. Go into this city. There's going to be a guy carrying a pitcher of water. Ask him if he has a place. He's going to show you a place. He's going to show you a big upper room. That's the place that we're going to go. There's no indication that they knew these people. But Jesus wanted to go there and he knew ahead of time why. So that this, this family could experience Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel. Because we see this is the beginning of a relationship with a family that's going to go into the future. In fact, it's this upper room that most scholars believe, and I would concur as well, that the the apostles would gather together after the arrest and death and resurrection of Jesus. The upper room that they were praying when the Holy Spirit fell on Pentecost. They stuck around. Now that they had this place where they could go, they go back to it again later. And then that's where we find ourselves coming to Acts chapter 12. Keeping that in mind, what we just read, let's look at verse 12 of chapter 12. So when he considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where they were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked on the do- on the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, are you beside yourself yet? She kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. What house are they at in a large upper room gathered together praying? John Mark's house. What's his mama's name? Mary, right? It's one of the, Mary was a common name. It's one of the many Marys that lived in Jerusalem at that time. But John Mark at this age, at this young age, most likely uh, preteen to early teens has has gotten to uh, know or getting to know who Jesus is from his apostles and disciples after Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. So Peter gets put in prison. The angel opens the gates and lets him out. He goes home. Rhoda's freaking out. She doesn't want to open the gate. She runs up and tells them. And then we're introduced to the, the patrons of this house, Mary and John Mark, who goes by Mark, which is his surname. Let's look at verse 25. Skip up to 25. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Do you see the picture that's starting to develop? Mark was involved in ministry in the early church, but with a little bit of a disconnect to actually who Jesus was. I find that remarkable. Many people uh, don't consider the Gospel of Mark, or they don't take it very seriously. When you talk about the Gospels, you know, Matthew's the first, and let's talk about Matthew. You know, John, the Gospel of John. Oh, everybody's got to read the Gospel of John. Luke, he was so precise. He was a physician, magnificent writer, you know. And then there's Mark. Mark. What's the benefit of looking at Mark? Well, for a long time, they didn't know when Mark was written, but we find out through church history that it was probably the Gospel of Mark was probably written to the mid- to late 60 AD-ish time frame before Jerusalem fell, and is very probably we don't know for sure, but is very probably the first of the four gospels that was written. Traditionally, some believe it's Matthew, but Mark had this exposure and we see in Scripture that he's hanging out with Paul and Barnabas and he's involved in in the early church missionary ventures from the very beginning. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers: Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manion, who had brought up, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit uh said now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them then having fasted and prayed they laid hands and sent them away now we already know that that Mark was hanging out with Paul and Barnabas Paul and Barnabas get this call that nobody else has gotten before they have been practicing in theory, going you know, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth, preaching the gospel, testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now it's at this point when God says, I want Paul and Barnabas to go to the Gentiles and take the gospel. We can see... Uh, In verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, and they arrived in Salamis. They preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. John Mark as their assistant. So here's a guy who's still young. The first church plan, if you will, missionary venture that the early church is doing in sending out by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, Paul and Barnabas, and now Mark gets to go along with them. The relationship we also know from Scripture with Mark to Barnabas is that that Barnabas is is Mark's uncle, which makes him Mary's brother. So there's this connection, right? And he goes out, and he's excited. He's their assistant. He gets to see what ministry is like. He gets to see what it's like to have a calling to ministry. But what Mark doesn't realize, especially as a young man, and and trust me when I say this, is that ministry is difficult, ministry is hard. I say this as a joke, obviously. You've probably heard me say it before. I love ministry. I would not rather do anything else in the world than be in ministry. There's only one thing I don't like about ministry. You guys know what it is? It's the people. (laughs) Two things. Ministry is people, and ministry means serving. So if you're in ministry, you're serving people. There's no way around it. And as Mark steps out in faith with Paul and Barnabas, he's he's by default putting himself in a position of ministry where he's going to see things happen that that a lot of people don't see. You know, the the Bible emphatically uh, uh, encourages the church to pray for those in ministry and in leadership in ministry. Just as a side note, I want to really encourage you guys to do that. You look at statistics across the United States. They say that, uh, I think it's, it's 40 pastors a week quit the ministry. Now, whether or not they were genuinely called in the first place, nobody knows. And I don't want to be that judge either, right? But those people who serve the Lord are going to be held to a higher standard And when mistakes are made in ministry, it's easy to kind of snub your nose. Oh, they don't do this right. They don't communicate enough. They don't know what's going on. They don't even know what they're doing. Yeah, a lot of times we don't know what we're doing in ministry. You know why? Because we're being led by the Lord. And sometimes he doesn't want to give us the five-year plan. Sometimes he doesn't want to give us the year plan. Sometimes he doesn't want to give us the six-month plan. He says, I want you to trust me. I want you to take one step at a time. I say, no, Lord. I say, no, Lord. I say, we're signing a five-year lease, Lord, for this building. Lord, we need to have a game plan of when the church starts to grow, what's our next step? Are we going to be able to get out? Are we going to stay? What are we doing? And the Lord says, shut up. Knock it off, Tim. You don't know what's going on. I'm not giving you the six-month plan. I'm not giving you the year. I'm going to give you one step at a time. And as we take one step in ministry at a time, faithfully serving the Lord, being obedient to him, and faithful with the small things that he gives us so that he can give us more, everything starts to make sense. Well, no wonder you did that, Lord. Man, why didn't you just tell me? Because it's none of your business. It's like my kids asking me 50 questions, you know? It's like, Where are we? We're getting in the truck. Where are we going? When are we going to get there? How long is it? How far is it? You know, I'm like, just be patient. Do you trust me? Sometimes I I think that's how the Lord feels. Do you guys even trust me? Why Why are you working this all out? And you know that's true because right now in your life, there's things that are happening that you're saying, God, why? God, what? God, when? God, how? And many times God says, Yes, many times he says no, but an overwhelming majority of the time he says, just wait, just wait, just wait and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's how we experience in our right relationship with God, what it means to know who he is. Because as we wait on him, as we place faith and trust in him, he takes care of things. He orchestrates it, and it all comes into place. It all falls together, and we're blessed because he loves us, and he's not going to leave us. Man, you guys were the ones that signed that five-year lease, you little snot-nosed brats, and now you're going to pay for it. No. So Mark, he's introduced to the early church. He's introduced to these guys like Paul and Barnabas, how would you like to be a young guy hanging out with Paul and Barnabas? And I think, you know, that would be so sweet cuz the guys I have to hang out with that are older in the faith, you know, they're 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 cool, but they're not like Paul and Barnabas. So they go. He goes with them. They're doing ministry, they're traveling, one of the first experiences that Mark gets. Now they had gone through the island in verse 6 of Paphos. They found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas. Barnabas and Saul, sought to hear the word of God. But Elemas, the sorcerer, for his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. One of the first experiences uh, uh, Mark gets experiences is opposition do you know that if you have some kind of goal or desire or passion and it's born of god through the holy spirit you will have opposition that's just the way that it is part of it do not be surprised by the fiery trial that you find yourself in because it it proves your faith as genuine you know what that means It means you say you believe something, but then God comes along and he says, pop quiz time. What's two plus two? Oh, I know this, I know this, I know this. He puts us in an experience or a situation where we're required to demonstrate what that's supposed to look like according to faith, which is the the genuine currency. He says, see, You do believe it. And I want to help you grow in that. So let's keep going. That's why we don't pray for patience. Don't. Trust me. I don't even need to explain, okay? Just say, God, help me to to observe patience in others so that I can be more patient. And he, he begins to see ministry isn't all that it may be cracked up to be. A, a calling of God in a prayer meeting where, where God somehow powerfully tells them, separate these, and, and Mark's like, I get to be a part of this? And then in chapter uh, 13, verse 13, now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returning to Jerusalem. Early into the trip, Mark says, hey, you know I, I don't know if this is for me. Maybe I got a little bit ahead of myself. And Paul's like, wait a minute. You made a commitment. You said that you were going to be our assistant. We got no assistant now. I don't know if that's what Paul said. And we don't know exactly how it happened. But what we do know from other portions of Scripture that we're going to look at in a minute was that in his leaving, he was doing something that uh, uh, disappointed Paul and Barnabas to some degree, but Barnabas was willing to come to uh, terms with it in a better way that Paul did. So what was the reason? What was the reason he left? We don't know. It's easy to make the comparison or the parallel to ministry because I know ministry is difficult sometimes. And I know as a young guy, especially as a young man in ministry, it's, it's, it's easy to get to that place where, man, this is, this is more than I thought. This is harder than, than I anticipated. This is more maybe than I bit, you know, bit off to chew. Let's flip over to Acts chapter 15, a few, a few chapters to your right, verse 36. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them at Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. That's indicative of something. You can almost hear Paul saying, You know, we're not taking Mark because the last time we took him, he couldn't hang. You want to run with the big dogs? You know, or you want to go lay down with the puppies. Mark, go lay down. And he's no, we're not making that same mistake again. Paul's very firm in his decision about this. Verse 38. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted one from another. You know what's worse? You know... (laughs) You know what's worse than leaving on your first missionary journey? Being a young man, being involved in ministry at a young age, you know what's worse than making a mistake and leaving? Causing a church split because of it. Okay, it's not a church split. We're talking about two guys who had a clear calling from God. In fact, right now there's a lot of talk, and I have not brought this up yet. And I think maybe today is a good time. There's a lot of talk about what's happening in Calvary Chapel these days. I don't know if any of you guys know, but there's been a little bit of uh, a division between Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, which was where Calvary Chapel started, with Pastor Brian Broderson and with the CCA. And this, this, this verse has come up on, on one of the sides. And they say, hey, listen, like if we can't get together, there's a sharp disagreement it's not doctrinal. It has nothing to do with, with the essentials of our faith, the essentials of salvation. It's preferences. And for me, like as a pastor in Calvary Chapel and as a believer, I think it's ridiculous I absolutely think it's ridiculous. That's coming from me. And to tell you something else, I wish that they would have waited until January or February to start talking about this. Because I feel like right now everybody is, is feeling the pressure of the political climate and everything that's going on. Maybe we don't, we don't think that it affects us, but it affects us. You know that it affects you because somebody cuts you off. And instead of like normally in your mind saying, why would you do that? I can't believe you. You're so ignorant, you person. Instead of saying that, you say, you, you, I can't believe you, Hillary lover. (laughs) That's the reason they cut you off because they're supporting the opposite candidate. It should be, or whatever. And they didn't even have a bumper sticker. (laughs) It influences us. We start calling names and pointing fingers. And we are not piloted or captained in this ship by Pastor Chuck Smith. God bless him. He was an amazing man. He taught me many incredible truths and things about the Lord. Pastor Chuck would say the same thing if he was here today. He would say, Jesus is the captain. Jesus is the captain, and he's the one we're following. How would it have played out if Paul and Barnabas spent as much time in prayer about this decision as they had the first time they went out when the Holy Spirit commissioned them? I don't know. But it doesn't seem like that was very much of a consideration. It seems like they had a disagreement, somebody believed that they were right, somebody else believed that they were wrong, and because of it, this is what's going to happen. And Mark has this stigma, so to speak, so early in the early church that's attached to him, a lot of people, you know, could just completely discredit him. Well, I don't even place too much blame on Paul. I don't even know about Barnabas so much. But you know that Mark guy? He really messed everything up. No, that's not the way that it was. In fact, later we see in the Scriptures that Paul is begging or longing for Mark to come because he says that he's been such a help. A help. It seems to indicate to some degree or another that Paul says that everybody's forsaken me except I know I can call Mark and he's going to come. That's the kind of restored relationship that the Apostle Paul and Mark ended up having. Historically speaking, early church history fathers tell us and quote that Mark was the one who became Peter's apprentice later on in life and that he lived with Peter and Paul in Rome, and that he most likely penned this Gospel of Mark from Rome to the Gentiles as one of the first Gospels. So he wasn't writing these things down in the Gospel of Mark according to what he experienced. He was uh, so much an interpreter for Peter's experiences, and that is the strongly held uh, church history position. He would ask Peter, hey, what was it like? Peter would tell him. Mark would write it down. Mark wrote in a simpler form of Greek. He was just giving the, the, the information, so to speak. As we go through and read the Gospel of Mark, we'll find out that he's very concise. He gives these, these examples and testimonies, and, and there isn't a lot of fluff. There isn't a lot of flavor or flair. He just says it how it is. It's also, uh, we can compare it to the difference between watching a theater performance. You know, you, you, you go to a theater, you sit down. Uh, Thomas and, and Mila and Oliver's school had this thing where they went to another high school in town, uh, and, I, and it was actually um, Mila's class that went to go see this thing. And we went to see this performance from this high school, And we sat down, and they had their props, and they had this big web. It was Charlotte's web. They had this big web, you know, and and, uh, they started, and the curtains opened. And and I was like, you know, sitting there in the chair with all these kids, and I was like, look at that. That doesn't even look like a real barn. They call that a web? This is ridiculous. That's a pig. That's not a pig. That's a little girl. She's probably like 16 or 17. Did I do that? No, I didn't. You know why? Because I, I understand what theater is supposed to be, and many many people, or a couple people at least, have compared the Gospel of Mark to more of a theatrical performance in the sense of you know you, you see what you see is what you get, versus a movie, a cinematic movie, with all these details about you know they have to go back in time and explain stuff you know back and forth, but Mark is just like this is how it is. He also takes it and re reinforces principles that he's trying to teach by sandwiching uh, another parable or another story in in the middle of one to reinforce what he's trying to say. So when we look at the gospel of Mark, we can understand what we're going to get into. We can see that we need to look at different portions of the gospel differently than we would another portion of Scripture because he has a writing style that gives us context, which is important to understand and know what's being communicated to us. So here's Mark, he, he leaves, he's trying to go back with them again. Barnabas says no, oh, I'm sorry, Paul says no. Barnabas says yes, he wants to. Then the contention became so sharp that he departed from one another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by their brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now as we jump forward and we see that there was some restoration between Mark and Paul, and there was a relationship that Mark had with Peter, we see through that that the, the, one of the, like I said before, the principal characteristics of Mark was his willingness uh, and perseverance to keep going. One of the things that makes perseverance difficult, I believe, is other people. Again, with the people thing, you know? You're going to work and you have a conflict with somebody. Or your boss. Or somewhere where you can't get away, you know? Like if you're in some kind of context where you can get away, you just leave the room. You don't talk to them. But like when you're work, you have to work with each other or whatever, you know? you you, you got to be there. And and a lot of times you think to yourself, I'm just going to quit. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to subject myself this to this anymore. But in reality... God's given an opportunity to demonstrate what that perseverance looks like. And, and as you persevere, you're putting yourself in a place where characters develop, defined, and demonstrated. And as time goes by, instead of uh, exiting and leaving and going to try and find something else, you, you start to demonstrate something that you didn't have before because you weren't kind of put in that situation before. And it goes across the board. It's not just the, the workplace. It's, it is family sometimes. It's relationships that you're in. It's teams. It's a soccer team or a swimming team. And what I'm trying to get at is it's not always just so personal that you can deal with it yourself. There's other people involved. So whatever you're going through right now, whatever thing the Lord wants you to, to persevere through, my encouragement for you this morning would be to be encouraged by Mark. Mark wasn't going to get mad at nobody. Mark wasn't going to hold it against Paul. Mark was going to re-engage at some point, or Paul was going to re-engage, and he was going to be open to The lines of communication were opened back up. There was no bitterness. In fact, what we see in the future is Paul's heart of of love towards Mark. Isn't that interesting? He says that he wants Mark to come because he's so dependable. Paul said that he didn't want Mark to go before because he couldn't depend on him. You think that God taught Mark some stuff about faithfulness? I do. Do you want to learn something about faithfulness? I do. Look at this example. Look at who Mark was. And as we consider where we're at right now in our lives, and we consider that verse that I read at the beginning, don't go go grow weary in doing good. For you will receive harvest if you do not lose heart. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. Talk to your heart. You shut up, heart. I'm not listening to you right now. Why are you downcast? Why are you disquieted? I'm not hoping in in what I understand. I'm not hoping in my resources. I'm not hoping in my circumstances. I'm not hoping in what I can do to fix this thing or to change that person or to do this other thing. I hope in God, that word hope. Do you know another way that you can translate the word hope? Expect. Expectation. You can expect God to take care of you, and you can expect him to help you. That's what hope is. So keep going. Don't get frustrated. Talk to a brother or a sister. Don't internalize that. Internalization uh, uh, becomes bitterness, and then it will creep into your whole life and choke life, the life, right out of you. Don't allow it to go that far. Submit yourself to the Lord Seek Him so that you can persevere and maybe someday write a gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the example that You've shown us in Mark. We want to learn from Mark, his his life. We want to learn what he saw, not just from You firsthand, but what he saw in Your disciples. That That... Second generation, so to speak. The next one, after our Lord Jesus went into the clouds. Lord, help us to persevere. We don't necessarily want to be in positions that require perseverance. But we need the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. So that we're not persevering because we're encouraging ourselves to, or we're telling ourselves to, or... Pastor Tim's commanding us to. But we're persevering because there's a power and presence of your Holy Spirit in our life, and it's producing the fruit of the Spirit, one of which is patience, that we need connected to perseverance. Lord, we love you. We thank you for our church. We thank you for all the things that you're doing right now. We want to know what the next step is. We're willing to wait. We're willing to take steps of faith. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.